Heavenly Father, we want to thank you once again for this time with you. We thank you because, Lord, it's another opportunity to learn from you, your word, particularly the book of Haggai. Thank you for how far you have helped us. And as we continue with our conclusion, we trust, Lord, that you will speak to us once again. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. We continue with our conclusion on the book of Haggai. The last time we noted that the book of Haggai is a historical and prophetic book. It is historical because it informs us of events that happened at a certain time in Israel. And like history, we can always learn from the mistakes of those who were before us so that we don't repeat their mistakes again. As a prophetic book, it reveals to us the manifestation of symbolisms expressed as the things that God is saying to us today which he spoke to them before, but is now referring to us today. For example, we noted that God's intention is to live with us, to live in us, and not to just visit us. We also see from the book of Haggai that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. And we saw that the glory that God has for us is far greater than the glory that any one of us can ever experience here on the earth. That led us to looking at God's assessment of our work with him and our work for him. And we noted that what men praise is an abomination to God and vice versa. Also, we said that you cannot please God and men at the same time. It is either you are pleasing God and not pleasing men or you are pleasing men and displeasing God. We warned that when many people are clapping for you, be careful because God may not be impressed by you. We also noted that the adage, the voice of the people is the voice of God, is scripturally defective. And that no matter how seemingly glorious the work of an unsanctified man, it is abomination before God. Christians must therefore seek approval of God rather than men. Today we want to discuss God and human leaders. Many books have been written by men concerning leadership. Even in the church of God, there are many seminars and sermons on what leadership should be like. But as we look at the book of Haggai, we get an understanding of what God wants in a human leader. We get a perspective, an understanding of the relationship between God and human leaders. In the book of Haggai, we see how God calls Zerubbabel, the civil leader in Judah, after their return from exile, his signet ring. And we noted that the signet ring is a euphemism or a symbol of the one who has God's authority and authorization to act in a leadership position. In more general terms, we must understand that everyone, believer or not, in a leadership position is of God's making. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible makes it clear that every authority that exists is ordained by God. Whether they are civil or they are spiritual, they are ordained by God. And in Daniel chapter 4, the Bible tells us, speaking about Nebuchadnezzar, that God rules in the kingdom of men and he gives authority to whomever he wills. The Bible says that God can lift one up and can put another one down. And this affects any leader, whether he is spiritual or not, whether he's civil or not, whether he's a believer in Jesus or not. Politicians can campaign all they want. People can vote all they care. But God is the one who decides who is elected. God chooses leaders by his sovereign will and for his purpose. He does not require anyone's recommendation to choose a leader. He does not choose a leader based on human parameters. 
For example, the leader that you would prefer may not be the one that God prefers, which is why Christians must continue to pray that the will of God be done on the earth. God would choose a leader either for good or for bad. For example, he chose Pharaoh in Egypt to be leader. He made him powerful because he wanted to destroy Pharaoh. The destruction of Pharaoh was so that God can show the world that there is a God who is greater than Pharaoh. God wanted to show the world that he is the God of gods. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the governor among the nations. He chose Nebuchadnezzar to discipline Judah and take them into exile. Even when Habakkuk was astounded by that, God said, that is what I want to do. Then God now chose Cyrus to return Judah back to their land and to discipline Babylon. Indeed, as Nebuchadnezzar had noted, God does as he pleases in the course of the heavens and no one can query him or challenge him. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 that God stirs the hearts of the leaders, the kings, to do his bidding. And when a king or a leader refuses to do the bidding of God, God unseats them. He removed King Saul and handed the kingdom over to David. God gave 10 of the tribes of Israel to Jeroboam, but Jeroboam sadly turned them to idolatry. Thus, when God chooses a leader, the leader should consecrate himself or herself unto God if they are to function satisfactorily as God wants. That means that a leader, whether he's civil or he's spiritual, whether he's a believer or not, must devote himself to God so that God can keep him in power. The difference between a successful and an unsuccessful leader, as far as God's assessment is concerned, is their devotion to God and also their humility before God. If any leader is to succeed in leadership, therefore, he or she must be humble, devoted to God, and seek divine counsel. Solomon succeeded as long as he was humble, devoted to God, and followed divine counsel. But he failed the moment he turned to idols through his many wives and stopped listening to God. In the course of our study, we saw how God removed Jeconiah, his signet ring, and handed him over to Nebuchadnezzar because he rebelled against God. Zerubbabel became Jeconiah's replacement after the return from exile, and he pleased God. It is therefore important that we recognize that we are all instruments in the hand of God. If God has made you a leader of men, you need to go back to God and say, Lord, how would you want me to lead your people? As we conclude our discussion, I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Leadership is for service, not for receiving income. Leadership is being a pattern for the flock to follow. Leadership is not about being lord over the people, but being their servant. Leadership is about giving to the people what it is that God intends for them. Finally, I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God expects Christians to intercede for leaders. It doesn't matter whether they are Christians or not. Praying for leaders is not optional for Christians. It is compulsory. It is mandatory. Whether you like the leader or not, pray for that leader. The reason is it is for our own good, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. If there is turmoil in a nation, it is because the Christians are not praying in that nation for their leaders. Also, God says that it is possible for these leaders, as we are praying for them, to turn and come to Christ. Even though the children of Israel were in exile in Babylon, a wicked nation, God sent Jeremiah to write to them, to tell them to pray for that land. Because when that land is prospering, they also will prosper. When that land has peace, they also will live in peace. God does not expect us to involve ourselves in political calumny. Yes, we can vote for our choice of leaders, but know that at the end of the day, it is God who decides who that person will be. From now on, it is our duty and responsibility as Christians to pray, Father, your will be done in my nation. As we pray that prayer, God will give us leaders that he has chosen who will bring peace and prosperity to our lives while here on the earth. We cannot afford to be political, taking sides with one person or the other. Because when we do that and God chooses somebody that we don't like, we are not likely to pray for that person. And if we don't pray for our leaders, they will fail. And when they fail, it will affect us. True prosperity of a nation is the result of the praying Christians in that nation, praying the will of God for the land. My prayer is that as a result of these lessons that we are learning and have learned, God will help us to now begin to pray for our nations so that at the end of everything, we ourselves will be beneficiaries of our prayers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you for giving us understanding concerning you and those people that you have chosen to be leaders. They may not be our preferred candidate. They may not be the best candidate. They may not even be anything that we like. But because it is you who is choosing them, Lord, help us to pray for them. Help us, Lord, to receive the peace and prosperity that comes as a result of our praying for our leaders, even at national level and in the church. Father, I pray that you will give us leaders whose hearts will be turned towards you, whether they know you or not, so that you can stir their hearts to do your will. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.